Thank you very much for listening to the first little pilot episode that we had. Officially can say now that we've got our first guest on, Adriana Del Monte. Welcome to the Humble Climb podcast. For those who aren't aware of Adriana Del Monte, I'll give you a quick little snapshot. He's an Australian-Italian Milan-based international TV presenter currently spanning five continents across seven different networks. These including, of course, some of the biggest ESPN, BN Sports, BT Sport, Sony Sport India, Super Sport, Optusport, and Stan Sport. I think he's got most of them covered. Luckily enough, he has interviewed some of the biggest stars, including Lionel Messi, Jose Mourinho, Luka Modric, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Serena Williams. A resume only some of us could probably dream of. Adriano Del Monte, welcome to the Humble Climb Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Jimmy. Mate, I know you've uh, I know you've <laughs> squeezing us in in between the Australian Open, so I appreciate you coming down. I know you're heading back. You said before, is it a mixture of Australian Open coverage and also seeing family that you're down for, or back? Always try and get back around the Christmas period. I'm lucky that my birthday falls into this period as well. So obviously, post World Cup, bit of winter time in Europe to yeah. miss, and yeah, some Australian Open work which I've done. Um, the last few years since yeah. I've been based in Europe, always coming back. And yeah, just nice to be able to find that nice balance between work and, and family here. Obviously something that I don't have with me where I'm based in the north of Italy. So trying to be as busy as possible, also trying to relax. But as I said, good to be here oh. with you and looking forward to the chat. Oh, mate, I really appreciate you coming through. Now you're a Melbourne boy through and through, correct? Mm, that's correct. Grew up in Ivanhoe. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I've spoken to a good mate of ours that we've got mutual, Nick Geishan, <laughs> and he reckons that um, if it wasn't for the soccer side of life, if you weren't European, you'd probably be playing some sort of AFL or VFL. Is that true? <laughs> well, he, he can speak better than I, but no, look, I always played Aussie rules. I, I Growing up, I did play a lot of the round ball and Aussie rules. I think I gravitated more to Aussie rules, just was naturally better at it. I went through a period where, yeah, Probably started to take it a bit more seriously and always have had fun, but certainly, uh, yeah, maybe look, if I put all my eggs in that basket, it could have been a very different career path, but I'm a big believer in just just trying, just testing your luck and then doing what you can and then you write your own story. And I've certainly got no regrets for the path that I've chosen to take and where I decided to commit myself from a very, very young age in my life. Amazing, amazing. And, and just out of curiosity, which football team do you follow? Uh, I grew up a, a Carlton supporter, of course. Italian background. My dad's yeah. mad Carlton, but then my dad made the the bad choice of giving me his junior football club shirt, which was St Kilda colours. Yeah, right. And then I started going for St Kilda. But I think really immersed myself in the world game the last, especially the last sort of 10, 15 years. I've lost a lot of interest in in the supporter side. Always really loved playing and certainly kicking goals. That was always my favourite thing yeah, to do yeah. in, in Aussie rules. But uh, look, for me, I'm, I think I'm more just a sports fan in general, obviously with a strong edge towards soccer. For sure. And and, and you played soccer as well? I did. Uh, our high school, Nick and I yeah. went to the same high school. Yeah. I was a few years younger, but our high school was always very strong at soccer. So I always played Aussie rules outside of school. In school, I always played soccer and yeah, we were quite quite strong. So it was good to be a part of that. And again, it's something which naturally I was always more passionate about. I used to play a lot of Aussie rules, but really just played to play with friends and just have some fun, but never was that invested in the game. My my heart, my blood, my soul has always been since the day I was born in soccer. And so I'm very proud within to have 
formed and continuing to form a career in that industry. And a, a lot of the, what I found when I was growing up playing soccer, and I wasn't much good at it, but my dad was the coach and you know I was on the committee at one stage. Did your dad immerse himself as well in those types of roles as well when you were sort of growing up? I think in my father, oh, my father's passionate about both sports. My father, I think, certainly was more passionate for Aussie rules, especially yeah. as myself and my brother were, were playing and getting better at. And I think then, especially with my younger brother, my dad started to really get involved in in the coaching and being a runner and just being involved wherever he could. So look, I came from a background where my family had no real background in Aussie rules. So I really formed my own identity, my own career, whatever I was able to do in that space off my own back. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think certainly across the board, the family share the same love and passion for both sports in different ways for different reasons, which I'm sure I'll be able to touch on shortly, which we were essentially, we were born and raised with the round ball and it, it just holds a, a special place in our heart for different reasons. Mate, you're, um, you've, you've, your resume speaks volumes as the type of person that you are. And I remember meeting you and this is not a, a chest beating exercise, but I remember meeting you, um, as we briefly discussed off air at uh, a conference held by Lou Sticker and the tribal sports group, money in sport. And this was probably back six, seven years ago now, at least. And you were hosting it one year. And I thought, and this, someone said, oh, this guy's on TV in Doha, I think it was. And I go, oh, oh, fair enough. Like, seems like a pretty cool dude. He's coming out for us drinks. Like, he's pretty relaxed. You've always had this, uh, which I guess ties really well in with this particular podcast, this humbleness about you as a person. Um, other than the, the the standard answer, I guess, from being instilled from, 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 from friends or from family. Was there anything in particular, which sort of you have seen that has made such a humbling experience for you as a person and where it shapes you are today? It's a very good question. And I appreciate the kind words because it's something that I, I have always stayed true to, and I will continue to stay true to. I, I think if you lose the humility, if you lose the humbleness of whatever you do, you limit your potential. You need to always be open to learning, always willing to learn, always willing to take feedback, especially in my industry, working on camera, taking constructive criticism and taking that and growing. It's always super important. So in answer to your question, is there a specific moment? Probably not. For me, it's always been about the journey yeah. and it's the journey of committing to, yes, I guess some goals. I have been able to set some goals in my life, but I've found that particularly in television, the media industry is always changing. You need to be able to be adaptable to what's to come, yeah. adaptable to change and willing to change and not just narrow-minded and focusing on just one direction. If I don't do this, there's nothing else for me. And I think over time, I've really been able to, again, with that willingness to be open, to take on feedback, even from those who maybe I feel I'm better than or should be doing a job over them. But if you're always willing to learn and take things on board, I think, as I said, you can really maximize your potential and maximizing potential is, is my goal. That's always my goal to do everything I can at the highest level possible. And to do that for myself, not so that the public see me do that. It's I'm challenging myself. I'm chasing myself in a year from now. I'm chasing myself in 10 years from now. That's really my motivator. And it's always like, um, and it's probably something that we can both relate to having, I guess, migrant families is, you know, the traditional stories They came here with the one suitcase and all that type of stuff. They came off the boat, you know, and stories that I guess we used to probably not appreciate as what we do now. Mm. But I think that that humility always gets instilled from a young age. And um, I remember my mum particularly used to say to me, like, manners are free. And, um, it doesn't matter like where you are on your journey or whether you, where you, you supposedly make it. And I say it with inverted commas, 
you're always there to to lend a hand to someone in need, um, and but you're never better than anybody else. And it sort of sounds like, you know, tell please tell me if I'm wrong, but it certainly sounds like you were probably given similar advice. Absolutely. And that's directly and indirectly and very nicely said there because that's spot on. Look, I come from a family and a background who did it a lot harder than what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm pursuing a passion, but I'm pursuing a passion with Melbourne, with Ivanhoe specifically in Melbourne as my base, as my fallback. I love to do a lot of mentoring in in the, not only in media, but just in general for young kids coming through. And I always like to challenge particularly younger minds coming through to really put into perspective and really understand how fortunate we are to be where we are from. Having been very fortunate to travel every inch of the world through my work, learn so much about different cultures, different religions, different upbringings, different struggles, you really put into perspective things we take for granted here. It's humbling in itself, isn't it? Massively humbling. And then when I combine that with the same experience that we have with regards to immigrant families coming to Australia, we know the struggles that they endured. We also know that in reality, we don't have to endure those same struggles because they came to this country with a suitcase, one shoe, on a boat, no knowledge of anything, no knowledge of people, no knowledge of geography, no knowledge of language, most importantly, no money, no nothing. And they were able to make it. So for me to throw myself and invest time and money and energy into myself chasing my dreams on the other side of the the globe, I have nothing to lose. And that's what I always encourage younger people to do is reach for that wild dream, pursue that wild ambition, especially while you can. Obviously, circumstances always dictate whether you can or can't. We have to keep things real. But you have nothing to lose with trying because we're so fortunate to come where we come from. Sure. And I always say great motivation from the struggles that I've learned more about that my, particularly my grandparents and my parents when they were younger endured to get me to where I have got to today, because without them, there's no way I'd be doing what I'm doing. It's so well said. And it's something that, um, it probably comes more with the maturity. I mean, I certainly know my own self and you're probably yourself as well, that the older I get, the more I appreciate the family and the faith and the values that are instilled when you're probably in that mid twenties, you just want to party, you want to have fun, you want to um, meet whoever you meet. And um, it's certainly something that I think that we can both relate to sort of winding it back to, I guess, Adriana Del Monte finishes school in year 12 and um, you know, you go on to Melbourne university, you study and you know, you, you do what you need to do was a career in football journalism in particular, which of course isn't, you, know, you can't go into a university and study football journalism itself, but was, was the goal always, I want to be a football journalist or cover the cover the media the media landscape the way that you have? I don't know how or why, and I know I'm very lucky with this, but from the age of 10 or 11 years of age, I always wanted to work in television. Yeah. No idea why. It was always an interest. I You're used, built for the Hollywood, mate. I just <laughs> used to enjoy watching the, the news and watching them talk about weather, the old weather channel on Optus Vision back in the day. Yeah, I remember right. just watching that channel. I just used to like watching people do something on camera. And I was drawn to it. My father, he did a lot of work where he was center of attention, whether it's from his real estate background as an auctioneer or whether it was emceeing weddings or a bit of acting. I just was drawn to that. That coupled with my love for sports, I always thought maybe I could pursue something in this world. Certainly football and the passion I had for that, I I guess that was the dream. I said I don't set really goals. I've never set goals, but they always say if you – 
work on something you're passionate about, you never work a day in your life and it doesn't sure. feel like work. And, and that's sort of what I aspired to do. When I was in year 12 and in the final years of high school, though, one thing that I've never lost, and I, I, I'm sure it's been taken in an overconfident, maybe arrogant way at times, but it's certainly not because it's just for me. I always had a lot of self-confidence in myself that I could think and do more than what others tell me I can think and do. And it's actually what led to me leaving Australia as soon as I could because I didn't feel, and this was just based on the gut feel, no one telling me this around me, I didn't feel that for the level I wanted to pursue my dreams at, I didn't feel that there was the, the open-mindedness to let a youngster, a 19, 20-year-old, begin to pursue that here. I feel, I love the country, I just feel in my space we were a little risk-averse mm. to thinking outside the square. I've always been drawn to the United States some people love them, some don't. I love the American mentality. I love the American vision. I love the American confidence. And I was always drawn to, well, if I think I can do something, if they give me the chance, maybe I can do it. So it doesn't matter about your age. And I really took these steps to think, well, look, this is going to be tough. But if I invest in myself to go abroad as soon as possible, 20 years of age, I was the first time I spent six months in the UK, accepted into big internships at some massive networks with no experience. ESPN, right? ESPN, Sky Sports, and, yeah. and some time with The Guardian. Yeah, and these publications accepted my willingness to think big. Yeah. Then can you deliver? Then can you, can you handle the workload and stress under pressure? That's where I grew. Conversely, here, there weren't those openings. So a lot of people here, even in my close circles, really haven't seen the the work that's gone into the, the end product. We're still working on the product, but where I am now, because a lot of that work was done abroad where the opportunities were, were given to, to me learn. to learn and to test myself and to grow. And ultimately, my industry, cutthroat industry, what I love about it is that I love playing sport. I think this is the closest to playing sport I'll yeah. ever get because if you don't deliver today, you're gone tomorrow, much like on the pitch. If you don't score today, maybe you're on the bench tomorrow. And I've just really been motivated by pursuing what I can, what I dream, what I dreamt about doing, what I love to do at the highest level possible. And I certainly knew that I wanted to do that from a very young age. It's funny. I um, And this is purely my opinion. I, I, I sort of resonate with you with where you say about the opportunities being limited for Again, if I'm talking purely football journalism in Australia, not journalism on the channel, you know, on at 6 p.m. news, mm. but if we're talking purely football um, journalism here in Australia, you sort of feel like it goes hand in hand with probably where football is at. Sure. And, you know, from a limited, as an example, and I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it later on about the A-League, um, because it's something that I'm really, really keen to hear from an overseas pundit, really, um, that you see you're exposed to some big, big things over there and the the football that we all watch, you know, we get up at 3.30 in the morning here to watch Champions League. But, you know, the the the, the limitedness is is something there that, that occurs. And it, it's probably something that I guess, did you feel that you could use as a base as well with your Italian background? Mm. Um, was obviously taking Doha and, and Qatar out of it. Was Milan always, I guess, the end goal as a base, the way that you have now? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. With, well, Two parts of that question. Firstly, talk about the journey and then more so about the sport here. But basically, in terms of the journey, my journey in a nutshell was at time in the UK. I then returned here to Australia and really ramped up my work in radio. Yeah. Radio was uh, and, and continues to be- Football Nation? 
Yeah, Football Nation Radio, but also SEN yeah, in okay. the early 2010s. It's certainly uh, – radio is the tool and is the medium in media that anyone aspiring to work in television simply needs to execute It's well. almost like your internship. Radio is the, is the biggest test yeah. because in radio, unlike TV, you don't have your looks, you don't have appearance, you don't have gestures, you don't have anything but your voice and your ability to tell a story. And so through radio, I was able to learn a lot. But at a young age working at SEN, I really didn't know where to next. And that's what then got me thinking about, okay, I spent a little bit of time in the UK. How do I now start to capitalize on the networks, the contacts I made and grow and get back abroad? And I really then started to put a strong focus in networking. And look, I think that's applicable to all industries, especially in this day and age a university degree does not guarantee yeah. one a job. You really need to be upfront, throw yourself out there, meet the right people, and again, learn. It's all about learning and learn how and what it takes to do what you want to do. So from there, I was invited to Miami in 2012 to do a television test, essentially a screen test, we call it in the industry, where I was thrown into a studio and I had to do various uh, scenarios of live television. Yeah. And with no practice, no experience, I did very well. Again, they liked the ambition to the point where 18 months later, they invited me back to return. Now, in this period, I was lucky to go to the 2010 World Cup, South Africa, 2014 World Cup in Brazil, spend some time in Miami. And before I knew it, the network bought into Qatar. Yeah. And I was sent to Doha to be the Australian voice in Qatar. So it happened very quickly, but it was, again, it resonated well with me because this is why I moved abroad. I was attracted to the open-mindedness of taking a punt on a confident but inexperienced youngster. And it really gave me my opportunity to work at the highest level, at an international level, covering not only football, but I was covering all sports. I did tennis, I did motorsport, I did all sorts of sports to the world. And it really put that pressure on. And so from there, then it did come to a point where I spent a bit more time in the US. I went back to New York. The US has always been my dream. So in answer to your question, Milan wasn't, wasn't the goal. Yeah, okay. But again, being adaptable is what's most important. Yeah, okay. After I spent another year in New York, I thought to myself, well, probably to sustain this longer term, I probably need to get to Europe. Yeah. I was always fascinated on the US, still am, love it there. But once I made the move to Milan, really, I, I haven't looked back and it's felt like a decade's worth of, of growth, of learning, of networking, of mixing and matching and being open to everything has now led me to a point where I am very proud to say that I work for seven different networks into five different continents. And I'm the first ever Australian who's got anywhere near doing some of the things I've done at an international level with the likes of FIFA and UEFA. And it's sometimes they are a couple of pinch yourself moments because again, I don't do it for other people to see what I do. I do it because I'm chasing myself. I'm I think it's a proud moment. But it is. Uh, you Sometimes I've got back from a few of these things that I've done and I've thought, yeah, well, coming back to what I said earlier, I, I, I couldn't even scratch the surface in Australia. And that's not only in, in football. You're it's, like the Christian Volpato uh, of, uh, of journalism. <laughs> coincidentally, I'm very close with yeah. Dale, very good boy. But I, I'm in a position where I wasn't able to scratch the surface in Australia. I, I, no door was ever open for me, not at any level, let alone an international level. But now I've basically created my own path. There's no blueprint for how to do it, but I've created my own path. And that's what I'm most proud of about so it's not the it's not the highs it's not the multiple champions league finals the multiple world cups the world cup final it's it's not those specific moments it's the whole journey and that's what i always encourage again i said i like to do a lot of mentoring 
it's about the journey, not the destination. And that's absolutely rung true with my career to this point. I feel like what you've just said, and Braden will probably agree, our producer here, that um, it sort of sums up the humble climb really in itself and exactly what this is about. It's about that the door keeps on closing it on you and it's just pulling yourself up bit by bit. And um, it, it's just an amazing the way that you say it. I, I guess two questions that I didn't really uh, have thought of previously, but as you're talking, I sort of, I'm, I'm really keen to dig into mm. Uh, the first one is how much of your your whole journalism and, and where the way that you've taken yourself, how much has that had to be self-funded? Would there be a lot of it that you've probably, you've really had to take a, a risk on? Um, you know, not just talking about buying yourself a ticket and getting a rental, but I'm uh, getting yourself a rental. But, you know, you obviously you, you, you may have had some sort of opportunity down here that you probably thought, okay, well, I, I might continue with that one. But then all of a sudden, you know, no, I'm going to go chase this dream. And by that, that's where, I mean, that self-funded. I mean, how much of this, you know, at, in the early days where you just been like, man, I'm just, I'm hemorrhaging here, but I've just got to keep on pushing. All of it. Yeah. All of it. And that's why you don't lose the humility. You, you can't because you know what went into getting to where you get to. One thing that I don't love about my industry is those, and I see a lot of people like this around the world. I don't like people who make it look like that they're living the dream. It's a, it's a classic saying. It's a buy lifestyle and everything. It's a classic phrase that I personally, I can't understand because there is so much work that goes into doing the final product. If you see the mess, if I do a five minute cross at a world cup final on the pitch, Argentina, France, very cool. If you see the mess that goes on before I have to do that cross, you would be amazed. You yeah. would be astonished. If you see the struggles on how I just have to get there to that game and all the passes I have to get through and what goes into behind the scenes, let alone even studying for the thing, yeah. it's an incredible amount of work. When you peel it back and then say that you've been pursuing this with no door open, no one ever opened a door for me without me pushing that door down for 15 years, essentially, and it was all self-funded by me and, yes, with support of my family and those around me, but all self-funded internally – it's as hard as it gets. So many times I've thought to myself, why do I bother? Like I got a degree at a decent university in Melbourne. I went to a very good school. I was well-educated. I've got friends and family here. Life would be so much easier if I just did something more normal. But there's always been that desire and that willingness and that drive to chase and pursue what I've always dreamt of doing. And that's what certainly keeps me grounded. So when we talk funding, thinking back to moments where – I'm always very transparent in saying if I didn't have the support of my family, being able to live at home For with sure. them and having them, impossible. For sure. Impossible to do what I do at this level. Completely impossible. But there have been moments where the bank account has been very, very low. I, I was always against, and only I ever had only one job in my life that wasn't media related. And that was selling Foxtel in some shopping centers. It was great because it was sales, it was communication, and I, it was a great sort of two years that I did that. But before I started doing that, I was all in on how do I make this dream a reality? Right. And they were certainly in my late teens, early 20s. And at that period, yeah, there was certainly a time where I would have had two digits, if not one digit in the bank account. And yes, that's because it was all being invested, whatever little funds I had into how do I create this thing, let alone do it. How do I create? Where do I start? And everything was self-invested. UK, I was there for six months. Yes, I was, in, I was invited to do internships but I paid. I paid to get there. I paid to live there. I paid to eat there. London's not uh, the cheapest, cheap, place, cheapest place in the world. So look, all of these things over the journey, going to Miami, I was invited for a, for a screen test. I flew myself there. I said, I'll be there tomorrow if you need me. And sure enough, I was there three weeks later. So it's been that willingness. And 
I'm sure you know, but there's nothing that's better than doing face-to-face, physically seeing people. We live in the digital age now. You can email, you can message, you can video call, but nothing beats this. And this is what I've always tried to do, throw myself in front of you. I'll give myself the best chance, again, as I said earlier, of maximizing my potential. And it's funny, yeah, for me, it's it's always been, um, it's almost like the seed that you plant today you know, it doesn't really, you know, and you keep watering it and might be relationships, contacts, whoever it might be. Um, and then sort of leading into the next question is, did LinkedIn or social media uh, play a role in in where you are today? LinkedIn is the number one tool in the world for anyone wanting to do business. Yeah. It's been amazing for me and planting seeds. I planted some seeds in 2010 right. that then began to blossom in 2020. Exactly. You're playing the long game here. And this is where I talk about, again, this is the journey LinkedIn is such a good tool that I encourage so many people to use because you can professionally connect with people from anywhere in the world. You can professionally make inroads with anyone in the world. And even if they don't accept your invite, I could tell you I've had come to my house, I've got papers for days and days and days of I contacted this person on this date, followed up this date because I didn't hear back. I might send out 100 emails a month and would hear back from five the way of the world. But LinkedIn, what it allowed me to do, especially earlier on when I was newer to the industry, research who is in what position at what network. What networks have what positions? You learn without the experience internally of how these places operate. In television, there are producers, there are directors, there's the boss for X, the boss for Y, the boss for Z. You start to learn about the hierarchy of a business. And so in my industry, that was very important because again, I never had any experience in Australia in television ever. So I needed to learn for myself. And this was very important in terms of communicating with the right people, reaching out to the right people. And then it was about learning as I went. I can really give you advice now on how to email someone to get a certain answer. But back then I had no idea. I was throwing out all sorts of emails and just seeing the feedback I got if I was lucky to get a response and go from there. So again, as boring as that sounds, that is one of the the aspects of my journey that I'm most proud of yeah. because I'm very proud to say now the reason I work for seven networks and also contribute to four or five others when they need me is because they all know me. Right. And I created not fake relationships, genuine relationships because these people always saw that I was willing to learn and take the feedback on board with no guarantee on the other side. I never contacted you to say, can you help me because I want the job with you? No, no. Like how do I go about doing that so then I can – learn, grow, and maybe pursue that anywhere in the future. And people have really respected that. And look, ultimately the world is a, is a big place, but it's also a small place, especially when you're in one industry. And as a result of making a good impression with person A, next time A speaks to B and B has that really top job that they need someone for that I'm suited to, you're in the mix. And that's what my journey has been all about and continues to be all about as I start to, I, I guess, um, really get a hold of some new exciting opportunities that I didn't know existed previously. And it's funny, like, again, like for, for us, it's, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough, both of us to know a lot of the same people. Um, and we also know plenty of other different people and, and, and they've all got very similar stories to, to yourself with the migrant families and everything. But as soon as that money particularly comes involved, things change for a lot Mm -hmm. of people. For some people, you know, yourself as an example, it's just, cool, calm, collected all the way through. I remember when I first got my job in uh, in real estate, as an example, I wanted to go work for the best agent who I thought was the best agent and success leaves clues, I've always said. Um, for yourself, was there ever anyone that you sort of 
thought, you know, I've got a really good relationship with this person. I, I want to be mentored by them or they're the type of person that I want to sort of learn off most. Mm. Yeah, that's a, another good question. I, I guess over the journey, I've always been... I'm asking a lot of good questions, but you might take me with you. Oh, you're doing very well, yeah. <laughs> very well, very well. Very deep, these questions. No, very good. Look, I guess in terms of mentors and people that inspire me to have done better and continue to persist, it's certainly come from my family and the sure. background there. There's no doubt that, again, it's even indirectly. It's not even that you sit down and you're having deep conversations all the time. It's even indirectly. And certainly from different levels in my family, my grandparents, I'm well aware and I've always learned more about what they did to build the life they have. It's funny, small story, but it's funny. My grandparents, all four of them, unfortunately, my two grandfathers passed away just before I moved to Miami eight years ago. But my my four grandparents took me aside each and said to me, but why do you want to go over there and live over there when we, we killed ourselves coming for you and you want to go there? So it's always nice to think how different it is. But I've explained and I said, but no, no, but no, no. You, the, what you did well, it was a completely different time. That's so true. Yeah, it's a completely different time. Now, look how beautifully we live. Now I can do this with no fear of failure. It's completely different. They don't understand that, but that's okay. Not the, a problem. The, the, the migrant <laughs> grandparents, I remember, mate, just stopping you there just quickly. Like, I remember my grand, my, and I say it all the time, um, my papu, uh, my grandfather, he, he uh, we used to watch football AFL and he used to, and he used to hate it because – too rough, too rough, too rough, too rough. Too rough, too rough. rough. Soccer was sort of the same, you know, <laughs> too rough, too rough. And then tennis yeah. would come on the TV and go, see, yeah. that's a nice game. That's you know what I mean? That's the way that they are. And it's those those memories that you just remember forever. No doubt. And so you take it's beautiful hearing that it's coming from a different perspective. I did take a lot of motivation. While very sad, I did take a lot of, lot of motivation from both my grandfathers passing yeah. away. It's a... I have very strong memories of these two moments. Again, I said it happened within six weeks of one another. And and the reason is because it was really the first uh, individuals in my family within two generations who passed away. So while very sad and obviously a, a new experience for the family, I took a lot of motivation from it because they passed away at 88 and 86 and they were lives very, very well lived. They had an impact on this world and on this planet that I can never have that impact unless I go and do something outrageous, yeah. which I'm not ruling yeah, out. But yeah, I mean, yeah. they had an impact on our family and on the trajectory of our lives, which uh, I can never repay them for that. Yeah. And so no one I meet, no stranger I meet that can ever be a bigger inspiration than that to me. That, that's not possible. doesn't mean I'm not open to learning again, but it's just, it's not possible. So I just draw just straight such strength, admiration, motivation, commitment, and purpose from what they were able to do. And then when that translates to particularly my parents who, they sent me to a private school for 13 years. They couldn't afford the deposit when I started yeah. school in the 90s. They didn't have that. And at the time, you go to school, you're like, oh, as if I want to go to school. So, you just do that. But little do you know how what's gone into that. And then when you start to put all of that into perspective, Again, from my grandparents and their struggles to the different struggles my parents had to now the fact that I'm at a time where really I have no struggles compared to, to what they endured. That's what motivates me. They're my mentors. And again, directly, indirectly, what they've done, they've set the standard and they've set the bar for me. And that's what I'll continue to pursue with the emotions that I get from that. But in the end, there have been some individuals professionally who have helped me. And 
I've really, I think another thing I'm really proud that I've been able to do is, and we briefly touched on it earlier, but the negativity, the knockbacks, the rejections, in a weird way, I really embrace them yeah. now because you realize as time goes on, like I said earlier, you might send a hundred emails out and I get five responses. You're like, why did no one else reply to me? Or you think you're perfect for the job, but they're like, oh, we're going with the other guy. It makes no sense, but they've got a reason. And once you get to a point where you've had so many of those, which I can tell you right now, I'm doing some good work now, but I've had and continue to have that many rejections that make no sense to me that I can't do anything about it. And when I was younger and more inexperienced, they would be very disappointing. You would be down. You wouldn't find the positives, but the positive would ultimately come. Now, if that happens, doesn't mean you can't be disappointed to miss out on an opportunity, but immediately my mind is like, okay, not for me. How do I learn from this? How do I get it next time? How do I take something else? Where do I go next? Immediately you go into learning mode, you go into positivity mode, you go into growth mode. And that's something which I've really taken on board over the journey. And again, I bring that back to my family. They would have endured struggles where they didn't know what they were getting themselves into, especially yeah. moving here. And they were able to do it. For me, a knockback here or a decision there that makes no sense, like, and so I, be it. I think as well, like, it's always going to burn when a decision doesn't go our way. Mm. And I think when it stops burning is when we probably know that we've checked out of that industry. Um, that's a little piece of advice that I was once told. And I was like, yeah, it kind of actually makes sense. Like, you know, you miss out on hypothetically a listing and you, you're pretty annoyed and pissed off, but at least you know, you still got it. And it's probably something really, um, really good to lead into. Cause I know obviously your, um, your dad's obviously a really well-known real estate agent in, in my, in my industry. And he's been doing it for, for ages and, um, Del, shout out to Del Monte real estate in, uh, in Ivanhoe, in Ivanhoe, in yeah. Ivanhoe. Um, and he's been doing it really, you know, for, for a fair period of time. What was real estate ever an option for you? Probably in the back of my mind, yeah. maybe if things didn't work out, my dad's always said, I have the skills to do it. Yeah. Was it ever something that I considered pursuing? It wasn't. I, it's funny because my, my father, again, it's, it's just about the timing and everything that goes into it. But my, my father has very similar ambitions and passions that I do in terms of our love for sport. As I mentioned earlier, he has, a, he's had a lot of experience on a microphone in different, different environments and certainly loves to, I think if he had his time again and it was a different time and he was born with a bit more opportunity, he would love to do something as I'm doing at the moment. So there are a lot of similarities there, but obviously for his sake, he had a young family. He didn't have the luxury of the upbringing that I had and the comfort and the support. He had a lot of support from his parents, but obviously migrant parents coming in from Italy, it was a very different time for him. So Look, I guess it's something that probably, as I said, in the back of my mind was probably there as, as a comfort, option, maybe as a comfort, but not something I ever strongly considered. And uh, to be fair, it's his father's fault because his father was the one who really loved football. He loved the he loved the world game. And my earliest memories as a kid are watching soccer, watching Italy play, watching Serie A with him and my extended family. And we would then start to watch it every Sunday on on SBS. My dad, my brother, and just. Football was my life. Football was my passion before I could even speak. And so that was the thing I wanted to pursue. I didn't know how or what or why when I was that age, really, really young, but that's always was my passion. And that's what makes it so cool now to, to be able to do what I do. Like going to these famous stadiums that I used to 
skip the morning periods of school for so I could watch the late game with my nonno at home and then get driven to school a couple of hours after it started so I didn't miss out on any of the action. Like now the fact that I'm actually like working there, especially Sun City in Milan's 15 minutes from my house. I'm there every second week. It's like a second home. It's just, it's a little surreal to think that you're living out your childhood dream from, from Melbourne. It yeah. makes no, that makes no sense, but it's always what I've pursued. So I feel like I yeah deserve to be there, but that passion was just so natural and normal and instilled in me from my non or from such a young age. It just feels right. And I think, um, I guess one of the big things that sort of probably sums it up for me is the odds that are against you. Adriano Del Monte from Ivanhoe, Melbourne, um, was is not meant to be where he is today. Um, you know, with, with, with the landscape that what football's become, what the media has become. Um, but for me, it's obviously very clear that, you know, you don't really leave a, you don't leave a stone unturned. Mm. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and, and that's, you know, I, I look as an example and I love when it's, you know, when the, when you, when you're back in Milan and I look at your Instagram stories as an example, I'm like, man, this guy's living out, you know, I'm living through him. And, um, you know, I'm posting a property and you're posting a photo with, um, you know, whoever it might be, Tammy Abraham or, you know, whoever it might be, or Jose Mourinho, you know, you're having dinner with Volpato. And, um, for me, it's an amazing thing. One of the big things that I wanted to ask is, I, I, and as I said to you off air, I get, a, I'm very fanboyish. I love, you know, I see a, I see somebody in the street that's famous. I get very fanboy. And, um, the other night we we're having dinner at a, and we bumped into uh, Andy Murray, Donna Vekic, and Novak Djokovic's parents. Mm. And um, they were sitting a couple of tables away from us. And my mate was like, I've got a mole. I said to my mate, but I'm going to go for ask for a photo. He goes, sit down, you idiot. I said, no, nah, I want to ask for a photo. <laughs> and he goes, mate, sit down. Now I get very fanboy. What's it like for you realistically? You're sitting, you know, on the opposite side to Lionel Messi, Joseph Mourinho, Serena Williams, Rafa Nadal, to name a few. Like, you know, you took that iconic footage of Cristiano Ronaldo walking off from the World Cup in the tunnel, which has been viewed close to 15,000 times. What, I mean, what, what's the what's the one person or the one interviewer that I guess potentially might stick out to you from some of these people that you've met? I think firstly, a strength that I've always had, which helps in this industry and dealing with these guys all the time, is that I've always been able to maintain this. If you, you said earlier, cool and calm, whatever my approach is, I maintain that. So we're chatting now. But if it was Messi and I, I'm the same. And when you work in this industry where these players are hassled, have to do things they don't want to do, post-match interviews and things like that, so frequently in and around training and living a relatively normal life when they try to, they really gravitate nicely to me when I work with them because I keep it very real, yeah. very, very real. So I'm probably not built for that job then. <laughs> there's ways, there's ways, there's ways. But I I don't think it's something that you just have. I think it does come with practice, like with everything. And over time, I've been very lucky, particularly in events where you can really make some nice relations with people, really natural. You have a bit more time over a dinner or whatever to really adjust myself and get myself to that level. Because at the end of the day, while I, I bring them back down to earth straight away, they are individuals who live a very super normal, abnormal life. It's yeah. it, their day to day is not the average person's day to day. I might just call mum tonight, say I'm going to be like, I'm going out for dinner with them. Um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a bit like that. So look, I, I give you a couple of examples of situations I've been in, if you're interested to then see where I've sort of brought this strength out from. I look, I live in Milan in a very central area called Breda. Every second person is an ex player or 
actor okay. or whatever. In my area, Milan is very much everyone's someone. They at least dress like they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very well. The credit card has chalked it up. Like That's crazy. <laughs> and it's just more a case of you do what you do, I'll do what I do because we're all someone anyway. So it's that sort of attitude which really helps. So I've been, I'm quite close with Christian Vieri and his brother Max Vieri. Max yeah. Vieri obviously played for Australia yeah. as well, which is yeah. a very rare. Uh, Christian Vieri, I always see him posting with Alino De Manti. De Manti. Down here, yeah. Yeah, they're very good friends. Yeah. And there's a, there's a local, well, it's a local restaurant in my area, which is literally 50 meters from where I live, where they always hang out. And I'm quite often once or twice a week, I'm there with them and it's, who's who there every every day. My last lunch I had with them there, it was Vieri, Vieri, a couple of former, other former notable Italian players, and then Maldini rocks up for a, for a coffee. So it's very normal. Now, Maldini, I interview every second week with Milan, and I haven't really built a strong personal relation with him, but by face, enough, you're in the mix. And you just get involved in these day-to-day normalities. It makes the job so much easier. Maldini is a really big deal probably the best defender in the history of the game. So really, really normalizes. But even when I was younger, you know, getting thrown into environments where once I was hosting an event in Gibraltar on a super yacht and Roberto Carlos and Michel Salgado to Real Madrid legends were the special guests and I was seated on the table with them having dinner. Anytime I see Roberto Carlos now, we've got that really strong rapport. Amazing. Which is crazy to think. He's probably the best left back ever. Incredible. It's crazy to think. So, I think I just have been able to maintain a really calm approach and whether the, whether I'm dealing with notable athletes past or present or I'm dealing with top executives, and this is for me always a focus. You asked about LinkedIn and things like that before. A lot of what I do, especially online, Instagram, LinkedIn, I don't do that for the public. I don't do that to build a following. I do that so the, the executives, the decision makers, essentially the most busiest people in the industry – the rare time they want to check in on me and say, oh, what's he up to? Yeah. And they check in on me. It's all there for them. And I've been told now after being very fortunate to be selected to host a, a couple of draws for FIFA, the World Cup, uh, a couple of events for FIFA, a draw for UEFA, a season launch for UEFA, these really notable events that really they, they use the same people all the time. Very recently they've brought me in, which is another thing that's, blown my mind on reflection, but they've all said to me that my younger but very calm and cool approach has been the point of difference. And so that's just me naturally. And that's why I always just try and be who I am. And if that ends up being a rejection, I'll just take that. I'll put that in the pocket. I'll learn and I'll, I'll go, I'll go on because I'm just very confident in the way that I am has got me to where I've got to. And I'll continue on that trajectory. So it doesn't matter whether it's Messi, Ronaldo and Mbappe here, or it's three NPL players here. I'll treat them exactly the same. And as a result, I've been very fortunate to be in some very intimate positions with some top, top, top names in world football. There's not one in particular that stands out. It's just a combination of everything together that you are treated with the same level of respect as they would give to a teammate and normally not a journalist, yeah. which I never call myself a journalist because I'm more of a, a talking broadcaster. Head, broadcaster, presenter, like that. I feel journalists, when they hear journalists, they think, oh, what story is he going to try yeah. get out of me? Which, which way is he going to spin it? So I always come in very lightly and think, listen, what you want to share, you share, I'll lead you in that direction. I love that. I love, I love hearing that. And it's, um, I think there's one thing that's come out of it is that I'm not built at all for <laughs> media stuff and I'll keep to these podcasts where it can keep it quite cool and relaxed, but it's, um, it, it, it's great. I mean, and, and just talking about that, that world cup that you've just been to, um, 
how was it? I mean, was it, was it what you thought it would be? Was it, were the criticisms fair about Qatar and everything? I mean, I guess not going into the human rights stuff and everything mm. like that and leaving that aside, but as an event, was it held well? The event was the best event I've ever covered. Yeah. The, the event was perfectly executed and I'm not surprised in the slightest. For me personally, it was very special. As I said, Qatar really was the first place where I got my start at an international it's like a homecoming level. in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. I'd only been back once since leaving Qatar and to return to Qatar and having come so far from where I was when I started there. And I've watched back at some of my clips when I was live there and I did a good job. I've watched my work back and I thought, good job considering no experience, but to see how much better I am now and how much progress I've made, but it all happened because of that. It was so special that I, I can't really put that into words, what it meant to be back there in this small, feels like a fantasy country at times yeah, where, sure. where really it began. And so I'm just so, I was so thankful and it was so nice to be back with the team there and with the individuals who really gave me my chance. I was very lucky that the, the bosses from Miami and Qatar were all there. So I was really able to reconnect with the, the top, top executives that gave me my start. And, you know, some of them shared some really nice words with me that they've followed my progress every step of the way and how proud they are of me. And it was quite emotional because I, again, without their willingness to give me a, a shot, I'm nowhere near where I am now. Yeah. I'm absolutely nowhere near where I am now. And it wasn't always the easiest living out there, but I got to really test myself at the highest level. So to go back and cover a World Cup and be on the pitch, and I did 20 games in 28 days, now 20 games yes. in TV is that's 10 hours per game. You're at a stadium four hours before, a few hours after the game. It's That's a lot it's of intense, work. Yeah. I was, I've never been more exhausted. Coming off the back of the start of the new season, basically had 30, 40 games in a two and a half month window straight into a World Cup, another 20 games there. When I got back to Australia, I was absolutely exhausted. But look, in the end, the World Cup, a wonderful experience. No, Italy there was a bit of a blur. Yeah, well. But aside from that, it was a very cool professional experience. And I think the highlight for me of the World Cup, actually, I shared this on LinkedIn, but the highlight for me of the World Cup was covering Australia's round of 16 match on the pitch against Argentina. Yeah. And obviously, second time in Australia's history, they were into the round of 16 at a World Cup. And the last time was Italy against Australia. 2006. 2006, yeah. Totti penalty, 1-0 yeah. laid on. And the special thing for me with that was the fact that in 2006, I was obviously in Australia, I was in high school and I was with my family in my nonna's kitchen watching this game. And Mark Schwarzer and Alessandro Del Piero, Del Piero being an idol, Schwarzer now being a very close friend of mine through my work, those two individuals were playing in that game. And for this match, Australia-Argentina, they were my two analysts on the sideline with That's me. Incredible. And so I was working with Del Piero and Schwartzer was there with the BBC and I just brought him over for one cross. And that was a really cool moment to think, wow, like I was watching these two guys. I've done a lot of work with Del Piero. I've done a lot with Schwartzer, but to be there with them at that moment when Australia were in a round of 16 again, and to think where I was last time Australia were in a round of 16, without knowing it at the time, I think that's probably a very top top three, top five special moment in my career just for how that all played out. It's, um, it's, it's interesting. And obviously we were, we were keeping tabs on, on you throughout the, not just the stories, but just the way that, uh, you were covering it, not just yourself, but many and the amount of media organization that goes into this, this was just incredible. It was, it was off the charge and it looked like if anybody 
I mean, you always think, you think Doha, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, you mm. think money, you think it's going to be large, it's going to be everything that it is. So to hear that that's the way that it was, obviously, um, is reassuring, I guess, for the next one leading into the USA, mm. um, which I personally can't wait for. I mean, I think 48 teams, I think they've said, um, or 48 yeah. countries, I should say. So if Greece and, and Italy don't get in, there's something <laughs> severely wrong. Um, Greece, I'll tell you what, I agree. I Greece, <laughs> I, I still don't know if we'll still make it, but it <laughs> depends how we wake up in the morning. But um, that's just the way the Greeks are. But uh, Italy, you can imagine, it's, it's, it's weird watching a World Cup in no Italy. It, it is weird. I mean, you win the Euro, you don't make the World Cup, you know, and you think, okay, they're probably going to be another contender. So fingers crossed it all goes well. I'm obviously conscious of your time, and I know that, as I said, I'm so th so thankful for you having us in at the – and coming from the Aussie Open. How does Adriana the 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 football pundit, get into tennis? I mean, where does that – how does that all link in for yourself? I mentioned earlier when I was with BN that I did do a couple of other sports at the time. I've always been someone that I can do any sport really. Yeah. Like I've always consumed sport. I like sports and I'm passionate about sport across the board. I love doing tennis because it's a sport that I've always followed. I'm yeah, certainly okay. no expert in yeah. tennis, similar to my football knowledge, yeah. but I've got enough experience. I've watched it for long enough that I can certainly cover it in the capacity that I do. So it was a strange one, maybe six years ago or so, the WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, contacted me directly after having done some stuff in Qatar. And they basically said, do you want to be our man on the ground covering all things women's tennis? And this was 2017. I'd just come back from Qatar. didn't really know what I was going to do in 17. And I thought immediately, like, let's do that. Absolutely. I'm very, very keen. And turns out that it was a very cool Australian Open to cover because it was the last ever Grand Slam that Serena Williams won oh. in her career. She beat Venus. We didn't know at the time, but she was 12 weeks pregnant. And it was just incredible to think that I was working for the WTA when she won that last Grand Slam. And as the WTA, I had the very first interview with her the second she came off the court with the trophy before she did the local network commitments yeah, like the Channel 7 or whoever had the rights back then. And again, not that anyone needs to know that, but I mean, for me to know that I had did, I've done that interview at that time, which in the end was the last Grand Slam of her life. It's Amazing. an incredible, it was an incredible experience. And from there, again, the way I operate as a freelancer, as a contractor to all these networks, as soon as my network saw me do tennis, they put two and two together. Amazing. And here we are now, I do the Australian Open, Roland Garros last year, I'll do it again this year. And it's uh, it's a lot of fun just Amazing. to mix it up. So you, will you cover, as an example, you'll do Roland Garros. Do you still look at it as also doing Wimbledon being based in Europe or? This, I have to be conscious of my body. This is the other thing that yeah. I always try and do. Need to try to look after myself. This year was, post-COVID has been, the schedule for football has been ridiculous. Yeah, okay. Absolutely ridiculous. That's for me as a broadcaster. I can only imagine the players. Yeah. The football has not stopped and my first break since basically July 2020 was in a small part of off-season uh, in 2022, and that's exactly when Wimbledon was. So that sort of July period after Roland Garros, after another Champions League final, that was really the only month off. And so I decided to not pursue a Wimbledon opportunity to take that time yeah, off. Good. US Open then clashed with the return of club football, and I also had an event to host with UEFA, and as a result – it was just too much to do. So I'm open to doing everything. I've certainly been a yes man and taken on every yeah. opportunity I have, but I feel that I've got myself to a point now where 
when it's right and when the time is right to look after my body ahead of my, I guess, my pocket for, for earning some for more sure. money, I need to pick myself at that point in time. I think, um, you know, <laughs> certainly I feel like post-COVID, it, it's a lot harder for a lot of us to get back into some sort of routine. Mm. Um, everything was all over the shop for such a long period of time and, um, you know, definitely obviously seeing through your story of what it was like back then, it, it was crazy. I mean, we were under you know, it was pretty crazy down here as well, but, um, you know, obviously you, you were over there in the thick of things in the red zone and all that. So I, I, I think obviously Milan, the way that it's opened up now, and funnily enough that year, I actually had a, I actually had a, me and my best mate had a, uh, a destination booked for mm. Milan. We're going to say the, uh, Armani hotel, I think it was. That's a very nice one. We had booked and, very um, nice one. before you know it, we're canceling because of, uh, of COVID and there was no getting out. So if I'm there later this year, um, I'll be certainly there to, um, to, to catch up for coffee, me, for you, sure. Maldini, all the boys together, <laughs> for sure, um, for sure. you know, maybe get Del Piero down there as well. Um, <laughs> but I'm interested to know, I guess, you know, and again, conscious of your time. So I can't thank you enough. A typical day in Milan for you at the moment. I mean, you know, now the club football back and stuff, what, what does a typical day look like as a freelancer, you mm. know, content provider, I guess. Again, it's the reality of the life I live. The photos, the videos, the highlights look great. The day in the life is there is no routine, there is yeah. no consistency, and that is very difficult. It's very difficult to to balance everything because literally things change by the day. I am in these relationships with these different networks that are so different that I am constantly, when I'm not working at a match or I don't have an event to cover or I'm not shooting something, it's constantly planning what's next and yeah. it's planning how to do it strategically, what's next. And that's what my, my day off is. I always like to start my day with a nice cafe, chocolate croissant. That's lovely. That's a must. Every Do you guys day. have seven days there in Italy? Seven days? Seven days. Yeah. Have you heard of the brand seven days? I don't know. We got it in Greece, but I don't know if we got it in seven days. I know if you it's got- good, send it over. <laughs> that might be, <laughs> might be a Greek thing. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet, but I just go to the bar next door. My, my street, I'm very lucky. My street is, a, again, a beautifully centrally located. There's a lot of bars, cafes, restaurants, all sorts of things on my doorstep. So don't have to go too far, but always make sure I get myself out and about get a little walk in the morning and just really just, well, I was going to say taking some fresh air, the air yeah. quality there is yeah. not great, but just <laughs> get yourself outside and just make sure that I start my day and then get into it. But getting into it is always different because- Depends what you're covering, right? Depends what you're covering, depends where you're covering. Often I return to Milan after a week or two on the road and you crash and I'm yeah. a day or two in bed. And these are the things where these are the, the struggles that go into- the end product, which is the 1% that most people see. And as a, and as a result, it's, it's a constant, not a constant battle, but it's, it's a, it's a constant challenge to just be on top of everything. And Definitely. that's sort of my, my focus for this year is just to find that better balance in terms of managing what I have to managing myself and managing my workload in the best way possible. Ultimately I'll do better work, but there's no routine in, yeah. in, in short. Um, you've got to be adaptable. You've got to be adaptable. And on top of that, always have to be ready. Yeah. Always have to be ready. And you, you don't, again, you work on TV. People think, oh, you got plenty of time. You might sit down, relax. Someone's doing your hair, your makeup, your this, your that. No, no. You're reading, you're doing, you're preparing. You're reading, you're preparing, you're doing, you're getting yourself ready and you've got to be ready to go when you are ready, when the time is right. So yeah. it's, a, it's, it's, it's the aspect of the industry which I do love and it motivates me to keep going. Last question before we go into the humble three, which is uh, a standard three questions that we ask every guest. Um, 
we talked about sort of being sort of any iconic moments with Serena Williams and stuff and, or starstruck moments. Has there been any funny moments with any of these particular sports stars or sports people that you've, that you've met that you thought, oh, sh- shit, man, I would have loved to have had that one again? Yeah, I'll give you a couple of these. These are all right. Uh, okay, two times, one live and, and one non-live. Once uh, in the World Cup. World Cup was the busiest tournament I've ever had. We're talking 2022? 2022 World Cup, busiest tournament ever. It was crazy. Doing so many games, five or six of the stadiums looked identical. Sometimes yeah. I didn't know where I was. <laughs> so it was so hard to sometimes remember. This sounds ridiculous, but yeah. sometimes I didn't know who was playing. Yeah. There was one game, Serbia, Switzerland. They're both white and red. Yeah. The game was 3-2. I think the lead changed three, four times. I remember times. that game, yeah. I had no idea of the flow of the game. And there were a couple of moments, certainly in the World Cup, where during my live crosses, I'd have to just look over my shoulder and look at the flags to remember who was playing because I didn't do it, but I was very close to once calling Japan, South Korea, once calling Ecuador, Ghana. It was so difficult to stay on top of it. And I guess, look, not embarrassing, the players wouldn't have known in any way, but there were definitely a couple of post-match interviews where I really paused and stumbled with who I was speaking to, the names, because you're just working so much. Shakira, you're thinking Saka. You're yeah, thinking, yeah, not yeah, sure. no idea. <laughs> Absolutely. And the one thing you don't want to do is offend these people, these yeah. players. You don't want to do that. But there were definitely, I'm normally quite clean and clear when I speak, but there were definitely a couple of times I was like, hey, sorry, I don't know who I'm speaking to here. And you've got to get yourself and out And that's of that. just running though from pure frustration, uh, just exhaustion, yeah? Complete exhaustion. There yeah. was the most difficult period of the World Cup. I did 10 games in 80 hours more or less. Yeah, right. And I was literally two games a day for four or five days in a row, five days in a row. And you you didn't know, uh, you really, that's losing track of everything. It's no excuse. You need to be professional. You need to deliver. But it was hard. But it's human. Human. And that's what I always come back to anyway. Even if I were to stuff up a name or something, because I like to just bring my normal approach to what I do, if I make a mistake, I make a mistake. It doesn't matter. The closest I ever come to a big, big mistake was, and it wasn't my fault, but I was in Qatar and I was hosting a, a news program that we had. And this news program, very easy because it's all auto cue. You're just reading the script. Very, very easy. Very straightforward. No ad-libbing, no nothing. And the second story was about to come. The first story was finishing. It was on something to do with Real Madrid. The next story was coming. And all I could see was Arsene Wenger, who was the coach of Arsenal at the time. Arsene Wenger and Arsenal are taking on Chelsea, whatever. And as I started reading it, it wasn't moving, which meant they weren't moving it. <laughs> and then I they start, I started hearing in my ear, like, it's not moving. Just read. And luckily, because we always have the papers on our desk, luckily I had sort of remembered the story enough just to throw it to this link <laughs> and I got away with it. But that's there are moments which you panic at the time, especially being very inexperienced, but you really learn from like, all right, under pressure if that happens, relax, talk, do it, get it done. And we're talking, Arsene Vega was still coaching back then, so therefore luckily it was at the start of the career, not, yeah, that's ex- not exactly. where it is now. Uh, exa- it, but exactly right, exactly right. I love so that. Great, great, great little experiences to learn in that, but they're the stresses and the pressures and whatever that come with the industry. And I've got many stories of those for days where you're being rushed to wrap up a chat with Jose Mourinho because Lionel Messi's coming and you're trying to speak to Mourinho and respect him, but then there's saying in your ear, get rid of him because now Messi's come. and it's just like what am I doing in, in this world but yeah I've got stories oh, of, for days of those but we can share them another I, time the humble three and I'll run you through it uh, three questions that we ask every single guest outside of your industry if you were to start up a business tomorrow outside of your mm. industry that you're currently in what would it be and why something 
in psychology. Okay. Psychology for me was always the other passion, the always the other area that I would have pursued in terms of study at least if I didn't pursue this career in international TV broadcast. Why? Because psychology, the mind, the science of the brain, uh, helping people, mentoring, as I said, is something I'm super, super passionate about doing. And it was always, clinical psychology specifically was always the area that I would have loved to have pursued. Still some people around me tell me I should do it, but it's something that I'm really passionate about. And I'd love to find a way to still exercise some of those passions because I just love making people smile, love making people feel better about themselves and making a difference. Mate, you're a giving soul and you can tell from the minute. That's why I'm, I'm, I love, thank you so much for coming on board. Last last one, one of the second questions you've actually answered, which was about the, the mentors, which was your parents and how much of an impact they've and had. And it has to be because, again, as I said to you earlier, the mentors has to be my family. And again, it's even more indirectly as I touched on because what they've done, you learn and you become more aware as you get older and you put things into perspective. And- I'm all open to to new mentors and to learning off new people, but no one can have the same impact that my parents and my grandparents have had on my journey. Oh, it's amazing. The last, last one, and it's a little bit of a different one. If you could own a billboard, what would it say and why? That's that's the best question of the day. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it. That's say the it. best question of the day. <laughs> that's, that's a beautiful question. That is a beautiful, beautiful question. And, and I will give you my answer. My... Uh, I like to write down quotes that really resonate well with me, whether they be sports related, whether they be related to something that just sticks well. I've got a book at home and I've got all these quotes written down. But a very simple one that I always come back to and always just stays right in the head. And as soon as you said this, this came straight away. So this is my answer. But one thing I always come back to is the measure of success is how we cope with disappointment. I love that. And my billboard would say that because I think everything I've touched on in this chat has been – the success, the highs, yeah, right, they all come. But it's not about flaunting those things. It's not about being overly happy with yourself in front of others because everyone else is going on their own journey. And I'm always someone who I prefer to listen to your story as opposed to talk about mine. This is the first time I've, ever, I've been in this position. It's very rare for me. Normally, I'm on the other side of the mic because naturally, I like to, again, it maybe comes from the, the interest in psychology. I like to hear and not help, but I mean, hear and listen and talk through what you're going through. And so my success that has come has been a direct result of the disappointments that I face, of the struggles that I face and continue to face because the struggles will always come. And so for me, ultimately, if the measure of my success is based on how I've handled and dealt with my disappointment, I'll be the very best version I can of myself and ultimately will maximize my potential in my industry. Adriano Del Monte, I think you've... um You've probably kicked off the humble podcast, the humble climb podcast with an absolute bang. And uh, I can't thank you enough. And I understand your busy schedule for making time for us today. And, and Mando, I really, really genuinely wish you the best of luck with everything that you do. You're an amazing, amazing person. Um, I said, I've been following you for a little while now. And uh, I remember, remember all those many years ago, there's certain people in your life you may not have the biggest of interactions with, but they certainly make a mark on you as a person. And certainly yourself was one of them. And that's why when the opportunity came to obviously put it out to you, I thought, mate, the worst you can say is no. And I've always been that type of person. So it goes to show the character of the person when they're um, when they're leaving an Australian Open, coming to Oakley to come and do some filming, and then go back to the Australian Open. You're just an incredible person. I can't wish you uh, every. I wish you every single success possible in this life, mate. And uh, I really thank you for coming on. Thank you very You're much. You're a gentleman. Mate. Keep up the great work. Mate. Thank, thank you, you, mate. Cheers.